if that was something that brewers saw on social media, I can guarantee within a week there'll be a beer of fortune beer out there celebrating where somebody actually not just condones but celebrates that name to get a cheap laugh. I can't think of the wine industry ever leaning into that behaviour. Welcome to episode 421 of Brews News Week, recorded today, Thursday the 1st of June 2023. I'm your host, Sabrina Kunz, and I'm joined today by my fellow and regular co-host, Ian Watson. Hey, Ian. Hey, Sabrina. How are you? Good, thanks. And I'm also joined in person again by now returning guest, <laughs> Matt Kierkegaard. Welcome back to your show, Matt. I wasn't I meant to be on holidays <laughs> starting today? Roundabout now. <laughs> that right. hasn't quite worked out, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Great. Um, that's good to hear. We're um, recovered from a busy trip to Melbourne and we'll crack straight into um, the first couple of uh, days of news from this week. Uh, Matso sells pokies to focus on beer. Great news story. ASX-listed brewer Good Drinks Australia has announced that as part of its transformation of Joe's Waterhole into Matso's Sunshine Coast in Yamundi, the company has sold its gaming licences, realising $4.9 million for the redevelopment. In comments to Brews News, Good Drinks Chief Strategy Officer Aaron Heary told Brews News that the machines weren't creating the necessary experience the company wanted what we're creating here is a brand experience for Matzos. It's like inviting you into the home of Matzos and we don't feel it's essential to have pokey machines. Uh, so we made the decision to sell them and release the capital into the business and you know you can get a lot of money for them effectively funding our development for us, which is really fantastic. Um, Matt, your story, and I'm sure we'll come to it, goes on to talk about just the value of those 15 gaming licences compared to venues and how that really underpins... Um, the hotel scene in Queensland. But yeah, a- absolutely. It, it was their, their quarterly update. So they provide a quarterly update to being an ASX-listed company. You know, you'd, you'd love it if uh, equity crowdfunding uh, businesses did the same thing. Um, but anyway, um, so they, they lodged it. They've been talking for over two years about this purchase of Joe's Waterhole, which is a really interesting purchase for them on the Sunshine Coast. They've been looking for a East Coast, you know, Queensland venue for some time. Bought this old pub, you know, five and a half million dollars seemed like a lot of money to be spending for a, a an old pub in your Monday. But then that's that's what really fifteen gaming licenses they were able to sell for four point nine million, which meant that they got the pub for six hundred thousand dollars. And you know, I, 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 maybe this is where I don't know that journalists have bias as such, but that was for somebody writing about the brewing industry a really significant detail to focus on, because that's what the government has created. It, it is why pubs are no longer the local, um, because they're gaming venues. Um, they their their whole purpose is not to provide great hospitality; it's to get you in, because that's how lucrative poker machines are. They're they're, they're worth four point nine million dollars, and also you know it, it's a huge opportunity for all of the brew pubs that are around. Um, and, and you know the, the, again confirmation bias. Um, 
stop focusing on we are X craft brewery, we are our local hospitality um, venue, beer is our stock in trade because beer is a social, um, it, it underpins that hospitality experience. And yeah, so that that was, uh, going away from, from the story, that was a big um, thing for me um, because we've been talking in the past that, you know, hotel brokers mm-hmm. talking about the boom in hotel prices um, and how you know, I quoted one who said Queensland is in a gaming boom due to the revenue generation and the value of gaming machines. And that is just pumping pub prices up. And yet the Queensland government, um, and I think governments around the country that have, have pokies, skew regulation towards them because they have the the power and uh yeah anyway so that, that, that's separate from gate road i mean that that was a, a little bit of um but personal interest on that one but i think it's um and Ian keen to hear from you but i think it's a good news story that a beer brand has decided actually we don't feel like gambling is essential to a family-friendly hospitality focused venue when they could have retained that for cash in perpetuity like all of the pubs they've actually said what we're gonna what's gonna stand us out from what else is available is is that we don't have it so I think that's you know for us because we're biased in that way that's a um, a great outcome yeah, it, it is a great outcome. And on to Matt's point there first, yeah, the value of the poker machine licences has skewed hotel prices in Queensland for uh, about 20 years. Um, now I could have bought a freehold pub um, in Toowoomba uh, for a bit over $200,000 uh, about 25 years ago. Um, that would be valued at millions of dollars now, just um, the way that the poker industry has, has moved. Um, so, yeah, there's a hell of a lot of value in those machines, just the, the licences. It's also a hell of a lot of value in the machine as to what they'll bring, bring across into revenue in the venue. Um, I, I think it's fantastic that they're not going to have it in there. That's more in line in keeping with their brand. I, I, I believe them in that. And, hey, if you can do a fair bit of funding towards the uh, purchase or the renovation of the building by getting rid of those and it suits your brand to not have them, that's awesome. Just as in terms of what it does to the revenue to a venue, having worked in in um, multiple hotels years ago now, uh, I remember at one stage at a venue I was working at where I was mainly sort of in the restaurant, um, but doing uh, started doing one bar shift, managing one bar shift a week, um, one weeknight, and uh, the manager of the venue told me that, look, once the meals are done, um, and there was two of us then behind the bar, he said, if you and Sarah both stay on and there's one person playing the pokies, we'll break even for the night. You can you can both stay there and we're not going to lose money. But if you send the other staff member home and there's just you standing there, we'll make money. And that was just from one person playing the pokies over, over the evening. So on average... We're going to make um, make money. So we said, I don't care what you do. Pack up, get the place clean, stand around. I don't care what you do. Just keep the place open if there's one person paying the pokies because the venue's making money. So that's, you know, but if there's one person drinking beer in a pub and you've got one person serving them, you're not making money. That's right. And it, interesting, I know Matt and I have talked about this before, but I will be attending the um, National Hotels Conference and their program came out and the first – the very first three hours of their national conference is on um, gaming. on gaming and I, gambling. I went to the Queensland one last year and they had the Attorney-General there. Nobody asked her about anything other than gaming. Mm. 
And, you know, that that's where, as an industry, you know, um, breweries should be lobbying as a point of difference to gaming venues because your cost base is fundamentally different. And the, the, the social utility of the venue is fundamentally different as a result. And that's yep. a huge opportunity to, to, to lobby government. And the opportunity to have the focus on hospitality rather than a gaming venue that provides food and beverage. You're a hospitality venue. When you go to places that have, you know, places that are, build themselves as family friendly that are um, poking venues, they have a hermetically sealed yep, games room that have more do. screens for the kids. Um, you know, if you go there, like they, they've got a couple of toys and things like that, but then they've got TVs and things like that. It's a, it, it's not a family. It, it, it it's just so cancerous. And again, in, in the alcohol industry, a lot of people say that about us, but there is a huge social utility that breweries provide in bringing people together. That pokey venues, and increasingly, um, to, to Ian's point. Um, Pokies will make you money yeah. just selling beer won't. But then those hotels, since the 90s, they've become pokey venues and then with three detached bottle shops in Queensland. I was Queensland, just going to say bottle shops. Um, the, 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 and it, in, in various jurisdictions, there are similar laws that are skewed where alcohol is seen as alcohol is alcohol despite a pokey venue being very different from a craft brewery. Um, and it's some of the things we celebrate in our Brewery of the Week, those... Yep. Those elements, but um, they are yeah. You know, they're not necessarily making money from hospitality over the bar. It's the detached bottle shop um, and the the the, the pokies, and that's yeah. a fundamentally different business imperative than craft breweries have, and it's a huge opportunity for craft breweries. Yeah, that's it's something that I think has destroyed the soul of hospitality and and um, the pub, the hotel was a cornerstone to hospitality. It was a different operation to a restaurant and they each had their own place. And a restaurant was a place for um, fine experience. A pub was a place for social gathering and that social gathering was around the food and the drink, no matter what it was, whether it was a, um, a beer, a wine, a spirit or a non-alcoholic drink um, and providing good food and providing that social gathering point. What we've now created over the, the last 25 um, years is we've created mini casinos um, that are serving, that do have hospitality arms to them. Um, and this is really kind of off the topic of, of, of beer and more into general hospitality, but I, I think it's, um, and or, or even cultural, I think um, it's, it's changed our culture um, around that. And I think that's... Um, um, yeah, that, that's disappointing, um, and it is good to see that um, small breweries have become a little bit more of that um, that focus and uh, taken up that position. And like what you're saying, Matt, about the kid friendly spaces in those types of venues, I've always sort of wondered whether it's um, and because they are generally just full of screens and pokies are screens now, and it, to me it feels like a way of um, what's the the word I'm grooming. looking for? <laughs> yes, thank you. That's <laughs> it. Of grooming so grooming kids into you go out and you sit in front of a screen and you play this um, thing on the screen and then you put another coin in it and you play it again. Um, and, yeah, I really don't like kid spaces like that. The, the, it's it's not creation the social atmosphere that hospitality should be bringing. Can I go on a complete tangent? Um, but I listened to this excellent other podcast from Crooked Media called Offline and what the, this podcast looks at is our relationship to being on such an online culture. And they had a presenter on recently that talked about how um, – 
apps on our phones have been designed essentially with the same methodologies, lights, mm. uh, reactors, etc., to keep us engaged in our social media apps as poker machines. And actually that the genesis of a lot of the design came from because... The constant payoff. Because it, from that dopamine hit and that the, the, um, the research that went into a lot of the apps is based in exactly the same findings out of what keeps people engaged because for a lot of these platforms, their revenue base is... Um, Attention. Uh, it, it is advertising, which means they need people on the platform for longer so they can sell more advertising. And so it's a really fascinating deep dive into all of that. And that's sort of an aside. Um, but I have one local pub that is that is my local that has got a decent-ish children's space, but it's got its pokies in a hermetically sealed sort of back behind. And they've put some plants in front so you can barely even find the entrance to the pokies room. And then you've kind of got like the look over the ocean is for all of the people that come to get the hospitality experience um, but they recently did the change out of all of their um, uh, tanks to the bolter um, uh, the, the, the bolter lager or the, the bolter, the bolter XBA? tanks yep. XBA tanks that now like sit in the middle of the venue and have given it have given bolter this huge presence and it's just made it look and feel less um, Carlton Draft and lifted it. It's all gone white. It's gone Bolter XBA. And I just was like, that was really clever. So I guess the point is that some of these hotels are still using beer and flagship beers and craft beer to anchor their food and beverage um, experience and the way that they're positioning themselves and selling themselves while also making all of this money in the back room <laughs> of the poking machines right they're able to cannibalize on what our industry does really well with all of the money <laughs> uh, that's coming from um the other sins right but if you identify that as a brewery that's a huge advantage for you that, and that's what people increasingly yep. want and it's increasingly you know again when we talk about generational change a lot of the studies coming out that you know, millennials and Gen Z are less likely to engage in that sort of thing. So it, it's a huge opportunity for, for for breweries to really be experiential, and and that's just personal experiential, having a good hospitality experience, good interpersonal experience, um, which is what people are seeking. Just wanted to move on to the other part of the story, which was actually their trading update, um, because that had some interesting stuff as well. Again, we're hearing a lot of concern about the size of the market and, you know, it, it, I always find the ASX-listed drinks companies' announcements interesting because on one hand they're selling drinks but then their news is always selling their business because mm. they've got two products to sell because they've got investors and they need to constantly, you know, and Gage Roads, Minecraft their share prices are under a lot of pressure, so they're constantly trying to sell the up. Um, and th this was no different. Uh, Gage Roads says it's continuing to grow, but when you look at the profit that we talked about last quarter, profitability was down, their margins have been cut into. Um, Aaron wanted to focus on the headwinds, which were um, shipping costs, because they're in Western Australia, everything's got to be shipped there, um, and a lot of it's international um, ingredients costs, which is something that everyone's um, talking about. Talking about. Um, but, you know, I really got the feeling that the reading between the lines is that it's been a really, really, really tough um, trading time. So even 
in growth, you're uh, finding it very hard to to get scale um, or, or get the benefits of scale. I mean, I think everybody agrees. Uh, headwinds is a um, is is the most polite way to describe the situation. <laughs> I've heard that, that a lot Craft recently. Beer yeah. is facing, yeah. Ian, Ian, did you did you want to say anything on that one? Uh, I think we've sort of discussed that. Uh, <laughs> their last report, didn't we, where we went over that, yeah, whilst the gross was up, but the um, the actual profit itself was was down. And, yeah, the, the way I looked at that at that time was was because of all those rising costs that everyone's are facing. So, yeah, you, um, when you're at that scale, you really do need to, at the moment, you really do need to grow just to keep, um, keep in the same spot that you're in because um, – it's just the way how tough it is. It won't last forever, but it's it's just the way that it is at this moment in time. So we've got a couple of other things that will sort of tie together to the headwind theme, but um, Harry Dog acquires Boozebud. Online liquor retailer Harry Dog Group has announced the acquisition of former competitor Boozebud after the latter called in administrators earlier this month. In a statement announcing the acquisition, Harry Dog said the purchase presents a unique opportunity for both Harry Dog and Boozebud. The merger of two brands creates a powerhouse that is set to transform the online liquor retail space to provide better drinks and experiences <laughs> to our customers. Talking about selling. Um, <laughs> and, 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 you know, the announcement was keen to emphasise that they don't take on any of the liabilities of the former Boozebud company that went into administration. They've just bought sort of the assets. And so I think... Um, and I'll let you two weigh in, but I think the piece that was interesting to me was that um, clearly the Harry Dog Group continues to think that there is an opportunity in online liquor retailing. Um, and quite frankly, I thought, you know, given that Dan's is so prevalent, um, having any competition in the market uh, that sticks around is good news, right? We want alternatives to my to danmurphys.com.au, no, no advertising. Um, you know, I just think it's positive to see that we've retained some competition. Yeah, it, it is. Um, going by the sounds of that, um, you might be able to correct me if I'm wrong here, it sounds as though that that didn't go into a docket, that that went to liquidation then and that's how they bought the, the assets, et cetera, if they weren't taking on any liabilities. Would I be right in saying yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I, th that was my read as well, and I'm, you know, I'm not sure. I haven't looked too much into the the, the booze, but it happened when I was away, and again, it's just a little bit out of our core um, news focus. As interesting as it is, I'd, I'd be interested to see how this can go. And like now, looking at it uh, in that online space, yeah, it's great to have extra competitors there. Um, I think there could be challenges. One advantage that Dan Murphy's have is just their sheer scale and the fact yep. that they do have a bricks and mortar um, that the that, that people can identify and associate it with, um, unlike I don't think either one of these do have a physical store. Um, or then comparing it to, the like, the, say, the case of Beer Cartel, who are a very, very niche um, and specialised, whereas this is a general more uh, broad online liquor, um, which... Uh, yeah, let's just. Uh, I, I'd just be interested to see how this how this can go. I think that that makes it a more um, without any relatable place and without being a niche specialist, it would make it um, a little bit more um, a little bit more difficult um, at, 
at this moment. And that's nothing to necessarily do with uh, economic times at the moment. That's just to do with uh, people's way of identifying things and 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 market and how and how you go about well, this, that. The size of market share that Dan Murphy's has oh, is is absolutely incredible. Yeah. Now. Um, with this, I'd be interested to know then are they going to keep those same two brands or are those brands going to be merged in their marketing or are they going to be sort of crossing uh, across themselves in their marketing? And with that, I'd wonder if they wanted to let their customers know that the two brands are, are together now and that you know they are they are one and the same that you know they might be looking for a new way to, to put a new label on their box or a new sticker and wondering if if you guys could think of any way that they could they could let their customers know that they could um, have a mini billboard on their packaging I think that if Boozebud and the Harry Dog wanted to advise anyone and use a mini billboard they could call uh, Brad and the team at Rallying's label stickers and packaging. And you can give them a call uh, on 1300 852 235 or email sales at rallyingsprint.com.au and see how they can make your brand or your merging brands or your new brand sing. Oh, God, you guys are like so good at this now. Um, Matt, anything you wanted to add on Boozebud? Um, on Boozebud, but just in, uh, it's a story that hasn't gone up yet, so it hasn't hit the show notes, but sort of aligned. Uh, we covered Parched Brewery, which is a, another brewery that went into administration um, a couple of weeks ago. It's a little bit different to the other administrations we've seen. I don't know if it's fair to say it's a more controlled form of administration. Like they, they deliberately put it into administration because the owners were the major debt holders, the way it was set mm-hmm. up. So they were just it was just a way to facilitate the sale, sale. Um, of, of the business. It was the cleanest way to do it. Um, new owners have taken it on as of this week, I believe. So right. um, had a quick chat with Carl to find out a little bit more. Don't know the sale price. <laughs> he, he did laugh when I asked whether it was... Uh, um, equity crowdfunding multiples. Um, so I, I, I think, yeah, um, I'm just waiting to speak to the new owner to find out what their plans are for the brand before I do the story on it. But uh, just sort of close that off because at some stage over the next few days we'll be uh, posting that rather than wait till next week. So a going concern, right? They sold a going sold concern. concern. The yep. doors are continuing to open, and it, and they've been trading throughout. It was an interesting one. You know, there was a little bit that probably won't make the article, um, but you know. It, it it's an example. It's an it's a nice brewery um, in the inner city. Um, it's one that was at least three or four years in planning. You know, they had found a, a location. Council opposed it. They had to take it to court. Meanwhile, they found another venue. They won their court case, but went to the the, the, the new venue. Um, but then, you know, had to face floods. Um, when the floods came along uh, just after they opened and yeah. they had two years of COVID. Um, and even and just getting the doors open sounded like it was an exhausting process um, that doesn't leave much in reserve. And then to have to be open and have those operational challenges. But then even sub, subsequently to COVID, just trying to find staff. Um, it, it's, it's a really common still um, complaint across the industry that hospitality just isn't either desirable or people have found other um, work and you know it, it was I, I just got the feeling it was exhausting yeah. and you know it's one of those things that you know we've been saying on this podcast for a long time there is something about this industry that is highly desirable that people you know particularly people that love home brewing 
they picture themselves brewing the way that they home brew and then selling beer across the bar, you know, like they're Woody in Cheers or, you know, Woody yeah. Harrelson in Cheers. And it's just kind of like this, all of the best bits. And, you know, as Carl, who I spoke to, said, it's it's a really tough game. And it was just him and his wife and a, a, a friend, basically, you know, three people. And he said, three people can't do everything, even with a, a fairly small brewery. So, um, you know, great news for them that they got out. Very excited that the, that the venue is still going. But again... The drum that I always beat, it's not nearly as easy as, you know, people want to make it seem or if you read the, uh, you know, how how great is this life articles um, that, the, that the brewing media like to, to, to write, um, it, it, it's a tough gig, but good luck to them. I'm glad to see that um, something has come out of it and the, the owners got, um, the, the original owners uh, got to move away as uh, wishing and wish new luck to the, the new owners and I'll pop in there at some stage and, and check it out. I'm very interested to 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 meet them. A couple of other industry updates, um, news. So the program for the Western Australian Brewers Conference was released this week. Tickets are on sale. Um, there's a whole host of activities going on around um, WA Beer Week and the WA Beer and Brewing Conference. There's the IBA mashup at Nowhere Man on the 8th. There's the conference on the 9th and then um, Perth, uh, Royal Beer Awards presentation on the 9th as well. So um, going to be a big week in WA next week. Really looking forward to it. Um, I will be at the conference having a discussion um, on AI and what it means for the beer industry. So um, there's a couple of really good presentations on that I think would be helpful for the industry, like how to write a good media release, which um, given the ones that I see every day, I think the industry could use a hand with. So um, if you get the chance to see the panel that Bronte from Eagle Bay is heading up there, um, I would say come along to the conference. It should be a good day. So see everybody in WA, looking forward to it. Um, and then sort of breaking news, and hopefully it will be have been announced by the time uh, everybody's listening to this podcast, the Indies officially opened today. Um, so the awards for the Independent Brewers Association opened today. They um, It closes on the 30th of June. The media release is still in the works from the IBA at the time of recording this podcast, but needless to say, there are some fairly significant changes coming to the competition this year, um, and in particular, sort of an increase in the number of trophy uh, categories that are available um, or tro- trophy classes that are available to to win. Um, so everybody should keep their eyes peeled for that, um, and entries are only open for a month. So they're sort of the two industry updates. In other news, um, slash below the fold, State of Origin was on last night for those of us in Queensland and New South Wales and I guess Adelaide. Um, but there was a major Drinkwise campaign launched ahead of State of Origin. So another, As there was last year. As there was last and year. And then we saw images of... We did shotgunning, um, or shotgunning cans or sculling cans in the in the dressing room, so somebody did, didn't get the memo. And we saw a drinkwise campaign recently targeted at regional pubs using basically the same imagery, mm. etc. But you know what? Um, it's it's a cultural change. It's going to take a long time to right. gradually reinforce. It, and um, I was about to say God loves a trier, which is a um, <laughs> which is a saying that I've heard many a times. So like. Keep going, drink-wise. Keep trying to affect that cultural change. But the point that I was making is that I know. when your players 
who you know like they're they're trotting out all the players to be champions, and then you look in the change room and you sort of see the complete opposite behaviour. That's the easiest fix. It, it's it's clearly not an easy fix because it's a cultural change. Um, but I think. This relates to an item um, that was posted into the Radio Brews News Facebook group but is also written by um, a fellow journalist slash colleague slash friend of yours, John Hole, and it's called Beer Needs a TV Makeover. Um, and it was basically an article in which John Hole set out all of these tropes about what beer is and how beer is represented just in, just in general on television and mm. it's always – you know, it's not that wine and wine activities are always held in that sort of fine dining experience or beautiful experiences for cocktail, but beer is very much depicted in television shows as that um, sculling, lowbrow. But you also see that on beer. Like it, it, it's not it, other people representing us that way. That's the way the industry, if you look at social media – that's the way the brewing industry represents itself. That's that's what I was going to say, Matt, was, yeah, you, you can't blame TV for portraying us that way when we often portray us that way ourselves. So we need to be the drive um, to change the perception of how beer is portrayed and then we can start to see the media portraying us in a better way. But if we're portraying ourselves one way, we can't expect the media to portray us um Another way. And when I saw the headline for that article, um, I thought that this article could go two ways. The way that it did, which is how um, we are portrayed on TV, and then I thought it also could have been that beer needs a TV um, makeover as in like one of the garden renovation shows or Queer Eye coming yeah. in and and showing us how we can present ourselves better. And I thought both I are true. Be a we, great we, show. Yeah, it would, yeah, to, to uh, what can beer do to, to make ourselves cut, look cut, better. Cut that and, uh, but until we trademark it. Beer Eye for the wine guy. Yeah. <laughs> there, now you're talking. Um, but it is that piece that I – and the reason I sort of linked those two and it links to something we were talking about last week and it links to sort of all of these other conversations that are happening in the industry. Um, Victor Drinks Victoria have announced their campaign for this month and there's a couple of really nice – I don't want to use the word elevated because we keep using that sophisticated uh, beer and food experiences that are happening as part of – drinks Victoria mm. so just uh, beer is featured alongside other significant drinks so clearly um, you know the work that's happening happening there but it is this cultural shift that needs to take place that we as an industry need to communicate uh, and set the bar for each other for ourselves and, we need and to then communicate it you know, out. just to compare like one one of the you know I, I, was, I was actually trying to think of some of the worst representations of the wine industry for example and you know the but probably the worst one is i can think of is uni students you know putting a goon bag on Guna a fortune hill yeah goon of fortune mm, never played it don't know about it well i've seen it on social media no, but I you know definitely yeah know about it. But, but we know but we know that that's what 21 year olds do you know 19 year olds do um with wine mm -hmm. that, that makes it very down market if that was something that Brewers saw on social media, I can guarantee within a week there'll be a beer of fortune, beer out there celebrating where somebody actually not just condones but celebrates that name to get a cheap laugh. 
I can't think of the wine industry ever leaning into that behaviour. Probably the zaniest thing I've seen is the winemaker, you know, down in a vat of grapes or something like that, you know. But, but what's remarkable about that, Matt, is they don't celebrate it, but they sure as heck don't stop selling 13% alcohol well, in four-litre boxes you know, it's not like they've gone, we're so highbrow, we're going to stop it. No, They're quite but, but, happy to take the money for it and then just sort of go, oh, it's our thing. sneaky side project. It's but, like hotels well, but, but and that's gambling. It, I mean, but that's the, 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 the different thing. And, you know, you, you can't sneer at a four-litre um, goon bag as a delivery mechanism, but you can make it and people are always going to do what they're going to do. But encouraging it brings down the tone of the whole industry. The brewing industry makes itself a very easy target with its naming, with its behaviour, with its service standards in a way that the wine industry doesn't. So the wine industry does get to have this vast majority of cheap product out there that they benefit from, but in a way that doesn't diminish the overarching brand value of, of the product. And that's something I don't think you can say for the brewing industry, which no. uh, just as a sideline brings me, I posted into the Facebook group um, during the week, it was one of the worst beers I've ever had served to me, um, and it was you know in, in an airport bar and things like that. But it it just highlighted, you know, didn't tip off your Melbourne uh, AIBA no, week but, experience. And, and, and there was like even as somebody who loves beer and was feeling very much like having a beer, I just I, I just almost can't drink that. Um, but you know, if if you go to an airport bar these days and order a margarita. You can guarantee it's going to be in a decent glass with a little bit of... It's still not going to be a great margarita. It's not a cocktail bar experience, but there is a level of presentation because they know how to present that. But if you go to a, you know, so many venues that pour beer, um, they're not elevating... And the one thing that breweries can do, um, you know, you, you can't necessarily control how a third party pours your beer in, a, in another venue. But I also go to a lot of brewery venues where some 19-year-old is... Their job, as they see it, is just pushing beers across the bar. It's not elevating the experience, which we need to elevate the experience. Um, it's not making sure that the beer looks nice. It's not engaging the customer with three or four quick words of, oh, you, you'll really enjoy the freshness of this or you'll really enjoy the Christmas. Nothing elevating the, the product. And if we're not doing it in our own venues, what? Are, how do we expect other people? You know, It's a really long, slow cultural change. Yep. But, but we're here for it. It is, yeah, and we, we do have to move on it. Um, part of that goes into um, how hospitality is, is perceived and working in hospitality is perceived and that it's not just a job until you get a better job. Uh, it can be a wonderful and rewarding career and you can be a wonderful um, hospitality professional in the service of drinks. Um, so we've got to start making that change there. When it comes to a third party, um, how a third party presents your product, you do have control over that because you've got the control of selling to them. Now, if you don't sell to them, someone else will sell to them. That's why we all have to work together in this industry to make sure that these um, venues that are serving all of our products are doing it, and no matter whether it's your product or someone else's product, is doing it in a way that benefits our industry and presents um, this beer that someone has worked hard to make in a good way. Um, the number of times where I've quietly let companies know that, hey, I got a really bad serve of your beer in this venue, and I know your beer is really good, but 
it was tasting sour or whatever, and most of the time it goes straight through the keepers, and they're like, "Oh yeah, you know, they're a, they're a rogue venue, you know, hey, it's a, it's always crap there." That's not good enough. You need to go in there and help them to make that better. Um, there have been exceptions though. Um, one uh, place contacted me back like within minutes and said, "Really, you know, give us some more details." I gave them the, my full tasting notes of it. Uh, the next day, they sent me photos. They'd sent a draft tech out um, who'd pulled apart all their lines and showed me a photo of the muck that was in in the lines at this this venue and they cleaned all the lines from the venue so that it was pouring and I thought that was that was fantastic and that's what we need to be be doing as as a start and to let people know that being um, uh, in beverage service is a viable and respectable um, trade to be in um so you know I'll just say that that article that we're referring to is obviously in the show notes yep, so yep um so on to sort of, again, um, headwinds. Um, the New Zealand Brewers Association and the New Zealand Brewers Guild put out a media release uh, commenting on the um, anticipated or announced excise increase uh, in New Zealand, which I think is 6.25%, um, being the second largest excise increase, uh, sorry, 6.65% after a record 6.92% increase in 2022. Um both organisations um, last year ran a uh, cut the keg uh, ta- cut the keg tax campaign. Um, so obviously, super similar to what's happening in Australia, but you know, six point six seven percent excise on top of the inflationary pressures of ingredients and and other aspects of your supply chain are really making um, the cost of a pint. Uh, pretty um, unmaintainable even for the largest of the breweries. Um, so that one coupled with um, uh, comments that were in the AFR this week that we um, had spoken to a number of people about, um, but Lion cut 300, Lion to cut 300 jobs um, across its portfolio. And of course, we'd seen Tiny Mountain close. Um, we had seen various bits and pieces. I've been following this story, yeah, for a while. So it, it hit the AFR last week, but Lion's restructuring and, you know, we've it, it's we've been hearing slowly the, 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 the job losses and Lion's been very reluctant to actually talk about it. Um, I'm going down to visit Stone and Wood where they're finally going to hopefully unveil what the plans are for the new brewery tomorrow um, to a number of media. So I'd been holding off uh, then. Um, but, yeah, I, it's... I mean, Lion is struggling. Um, all, all of the evidence is um, we've been seeing it for a while, but now with 300 jobs cut and even in their craft arm... I was just um, going to say, they've bled talent in the craft space, craft yeah, beer space. And yeah. I, haven't sp- I haven't spoken to anyone, uh, of, but it's, you know, I'm, I'm sure listeners to this podcast will have heard a lot of the names that are going, some of the really senior craft brewery names in Lion... Across the country too. Across the country. Yeah, but not the people isolated geographically. That I would describe as giving Lion any craft cred because they were the people who engaged, who were the public face, who were out there and they're, you know, taking redundancies. Um, you'd kind of wonder what will be left. And There's still some good people in there, don't, don't And quite frankly, who leaned into supporting 
craft beer slash small beer slash the beer mm. category. The local know, craft breweries. That, through uh, yep. time and experience. So, so those folks, right, across the country, it's pretty um, – so as you said, the AFR reported this. Um, it, it's, yeah – Lion are in a world of pain by the sounds of it. Well, the whole brewing industry is, but Lion, so yeah, Lion had a huge um, tumble last year. I can't remember. Like they actually lost money last year. Um, And I mean, you look at this. So Lion are in New Zealand. They're part of the association that's fighting the, you know, like these, all of these discrete issues that we've been talking about are not happening in in isolation for the big brands that the big companies that have interests across you know, hotels across massive supply chain issues and so on and so forth. Container deposit, you know, all of those issues. And let's hope we can keep out those skilled folks engaged in beer at a time when we so desperately need skilled staff. Um, it would be a shame to lose good people to, to, from our, our category or our sector or our industry. Absolutely, because many of these people will have, um, well, they all will have great skills that they can offer other industries as well. Um, That's right. And it'd be good to keep them in here, whether they're in uh, production roles or whether they're sales or marketing people, keep their skill sets um, in the industry somehow if we can. That's it for sort of other news. Is there anything else that anybody wanted to add into the mix? No, but uh, Bluestone Yeast would like us to uh, say something because uh, our good friends at Bluestone Yeast uh, sponsor the Brewery of the Week and Bluestone Yeast can supply pitches of yeast from one litre to 100 litres at greater than 2 billion cells per milliliter. Whether you are after a one-off pitch or are you looking for some weekly, fortnightly or monthly deliveries of yeast, Bluestone Yeast has you covered. You can reach out to them at info at bluestoneyeast.com.au or call Derek, who loves a chat about all things yeast, and you can give him a call on 0385183172. And it was great to see Derek down at the uh, AIBAs last week. And um, well, which one of us is going to seem we were there together? Who gets the honour? I'll, I'll give you the honour of uh, great. saying that. Um, we're going to give a shout-out to co-conspirators. We happened to drop in there um, unannounced the day after the AIBAs and thought we'd just sort of swing in for a, a late-lunch beer. And, and the second we sort of opened the door, um, Jackie and they're, they're cutting out the AIBA medals. <laughs> all, all to four of them. All <laughs> stick up on the wall and are like, look, we're going to make the most of it on the weekend's trade, which was gorgeous to see. Um, and it was, you know... Um, the aesthetic of co-conspirators is really strong. They have a, a strong branding uh, across um, across both the venue and the, and their products that they package, and that was really evident in the venue itself. So they had a pretty clear vision. Um, you know, the classic story of the level of work that had mm. to go into getting into the venue itself. But um, you know, we had a couple of their gold medal winning beers. Um, you know, they had a pretty Beautiful range. They had the hand Lovely pump. Lovely beer on a hand pump. Yep. Yep. So you know something for everyone. A kids area. You know dreams for what was next. Um, and all in all, sort of you know that classic sort of I, I want to say city, but but suburban brewery. E- everything that you would want in your local. And people popped in to buy takeaways. You know, um, bike with all of the it wet weather gear. Going back to the head of the program, yep. where we were sort of saying it's the place they had a family space, the, the the beers were good, even though it was the close your eyes and you can picture a shed style brewery, they had made it their own. Yep. Like it was Agreed. actually, if you the 
walking in there, you knew exactly which brewery you're in. Yeah. Um, there, there was no, you know, generic. It wasn't generic. It wasn't generic. Yeah. Even though it was, you know, for, for all of that, and it was comfortable. It was welcoming. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So what a great brewery of the week. Really, yep. it was. A, that's the sort of place that I would love to have walking distance uh, from my home. Yeah, and I loved. So we were there, and and it's raining outside, and classic sort of Melbourne. Dad rocks in. He's got his raincoat on, like three-year-old kid is in the seat in the back and he's just like popped in to get his you know beautiful hand select mixed four pack to take home and you're like that's absolutely what we want from our local breweries so loved it excellent um and that wraps up another week of news your hosts have been me sabrina kunz and ian watson and returning guest matt kirkegaard the show is produced and edited by joe helder we thank rallying labels stickers and packaging and bluestone yeast for their support in making this episode possible uh go out and grab tickets to all of those upcoming industry events there's never been more important time for us to get together and talk about the hard issues um and looking forward to hanging out with you all in wa next week while matt holds down the fort i will be So uh, thank you. Thanks, Ian. Thank you.